This is a Better Brand of Happiness, session 43. And in this session, we will begin looking at Philippians chapter 4, the latter part of the section that we've been studying, Philippians 4, 14 through 17. Now, this smaller section, Philippians 4, 14 through 17, is actually part of a larger unit. As you know from previous sessions that we've been looking at, that the entire unit is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And so these... This uh, large section of verses is uh, one unit in the book of Philippians, and as one unit, it has one major thrust, one major topic, one major, as I call it, big idea. And my big idea statement is my one-sentence summary of the meaning of any passage of Scripture, of any paragraph of Scripture. And the big idea statement I I have given you for this passage of Scripture, for Philippians 4, 10 through 20, is that when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, He was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. When Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. Now, as we have already worked through the first part of this section, verses 10 through 13, we talked about why Paul um, was grateful for the money, even though he didn't need it. And Paul spent some time there talking about contentment. But this morning, as we move forward in the section and we come to uh, verse 14 and start to look at um, really kind of the meat of this paragraph of Scripture, I want to take some time again to uh, dive into the text and to draw on the text itself to kind of show you the relationships between these verses and also the relationships between these verses and my big idea. And so we'll begin this morning with a review a quick review of what we've already looked at and a look at the text as we move forward this morning, starting in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. On the screen there, I've given you not only the paragraph, Philippians 4, 10 through 20, and my big idea statement, but I've given you as much of the passage as I could squeeze onto one slide. But I did this because I want to draw out for you um, some of the relationships between the verses in this text and also the relationships between those verses and my big idea. In this paragraph, as you know, Paul has been talking to the Christians in Philippi about a gift of money that they sent to him. And in verse 10, Paul begins by saying that it it caused him joy in the Lord, that the result of their gift to him, their financial gift to him, was rejoicing in the Lord. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. This phrase, this sentence, lays out really the topic that spans the entirety of this paragraph of Scripture. But everything after verse 10 through verse uh, 13 is a little bit of a digression. So Paul actually sets forth the, the fact that he's going to talk about the gift the Philippians sent him, but then he digresses a bit to talk about contentment. And so in the, in the, here in this uh, verse, beginning in verse 10, when Paul says, I rejoiced greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me, this phrase, renewed your concern, is... an indirect reference to the money they sent him. Paul interpreted the money they sent him as an expression of their love, as an expression of their concern for him. And so part of my big idea that says he was more grateful for what it meant, that part about what it meant ties directly to this idea of their concern for him. 
Paul was touched deeply by their gift because their gift demonstrated that they cared about him as a person and that they cared about his ministry and seeing that his ministry continues. And so part of my big idea that says Paul was uh, more grateful for what it meant has to do with the fact that Paul saw through the gift itself to the heart behind it. The love that they had for him and for the Lord that motivated their gift. Now, we spent several sessions on verses 10 through 13, and so I'm not going to rehash that. But I want you, again, to understand that this is a little bit of a digression. When we come now to verse 14, our verse for today, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This connects directly to the fact uh, to the first part of verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Paul elaborates on what it means that you renewed your concern when he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And so everything between verse 10 and verse 14 is a little bit of an aside where Paul talks about the topic of contentment. And as Paul talks about the topic of contentment in verses 11, 12, and 13, the implication that you might get from these verses, verses 10, uh, sorry, 11, 12, and 13, is that Paul actually didn't really want the gift the Philippians sent him. Notice again, just quickly, in verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then he goes on and elaborates and says, it doesn't matter whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I have a lot or a little, I'm content in all situations and I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. It almost sounds like Paul doesn't care about their money, doesn't want their money, but that's not the case. So Paul is trying to He's trying to balance a bunch of things in this passage. He's trying to thank them for their gift and express to them how much it meant to them, while also telling them that God has actually given him contentment even when he didn't know the gift was coming and even when he was uh, very much needing it. But now he wants to return to the heart behind the gift. And so in verse 12 and 13, Paul Sounds like he's saying, thanks for the dough, but I don't really want it. But that's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying, I want you to understand that even though I can use this money, my happiness doesn't depend on it. That God has given me the gift, the ability to be happy, to be content. Whether I have enough or whether I'm barely scraping the bottom of the barrel, as we often speak. So Paul isn't saying that their gift was unimportant to him. What he is saying is that their gift was unexpected, and that he is grateful more for the, the spiritual um, impulse that caused them to give in the first place. And so that's really where we kind of come to today's section. Paul introduced the topic in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Now in verse 14, he picks up that topic and says, Yet it was good for you, it was good of you, to share in my troubles. And so that's really where we're getting started for today. So today we're going to be looking, really, for the most part, at verse 14. We might dip into some of the other verses. But I want to walk kind of word by word through this very short verse. Philippians 4, 14 says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And as you see, the opening word there is the word yet. The word yet is a word of contrast. And... It tells us that, and Paul gives this word in order to clarify something. He wants to clarify what he is saying. Verses 11 through 13 tells us that Paul was content with his life, whether they sent the gift or not. And again, that could sound like he was ungrateful for their gift. 
But the word yet signals to us that Paul wants them to know he is grateful for their gift. He wants to resume talking about their gift and what it meant to him. And so that's what the word yet signals to us. It signals a return to the topic of their gift and what it meant. After the word yet, we come to this, the next phrase in verse 14, which is this. It was good of you. It was good of you. Now that phrase, it was good, places a moral label on their actions. And you and I do this all the time. We look at the actions of other people and we reach conclusions about those actions. We, come, we make judgments about those actions. We make judgments about what motivated those actions and what it says about the person who did those actions. And the phrase that, is, that we're looking at here in verse 14, it was good of you, states that the money they collected and give, gave to Paul was actually a good thing to do. Paul is putting a moral label on it that's a positive one. Now the word translated good here from the original Greek language is nothing special. If you did a deep dive word study on this word good, you wouldn't come away with any more than what you did from just reading the English translation. This is the usual word that is translated good in our English translations. And so we have to think about what it might mean in order to come to a conclusion about it. Just as in English, in the original Greek, the word good, or the word that's translated good here, can be used in many different positive ways. A good shot in basketball, we use that word. Somebody makes a shot and we say, that was a good shot. What are we saying? We're saying we're impressed because of the difficulty and skill that it took to make such a shot. All right, and so the label when we say a good shot is a label of impression. It's a label of um, how, how impressed we are with what someone has done. In another context, we might say, my dog is a good dog. Now, we mean something completely different there. We're not necessarily impressed with the skill of the dog, certainly not to make baskets. In this case, when we talk about it, is, he's a good dog, we are saying that the dog is obedient, usually, or at least friendly. My dog is obedient when treats are involved, but he's friendly pretty much all the time. All right, And so at least, even when he's disobedient, He's hard not to like. It's hard not to say you're a good dog because he's always very friendly. Talking about people, when we use the word good in English to label people and we say this is a good person, I think we usually are talking about someone who is kind and thoughtful. Or maybe in another context, we, or maybe in the same context or another context, we might say someone of high moral character. A good person is someone who we respect because they do the right thing. And so we mean they are good morally. But we also use it to say that, that they're kind often. And that's pretty similar to what Paul is getting at here when he says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. When Paul uses this word good, he puts a moral label on their actions. And he is saying that their actions are praiseworthy. Their actions are worthy of being praised before God. That's why Paul, back in, remember, I said he, um, he connected this, to, or this is all connected to verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. The goodness that the Philippians demonstrated by their gift 
was an expression of their walk with God. It was an expression of their growth in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is is saying their actions are praiseworthy and, and they're especially meaningful to him because what he cares most about among the churches is their growth in Jesus Christ. And so the fact that they did this, the fact that what they did was kind and helpful to him, means it's good, but it also means it comes out of a a heart that's good, a heart that's being sanctified, that's being made holy, made like Jesus Christ. What they did was loving. And so Paul says, everything you did is praiseworthy. I think that's why he used the word good, because the word good applies in so many situations. What they did was kind, it was loving, it was reflective of the heart of God. That's why he uses this word good to describe it, because it can be Labels, it can label so many positive things about a person. Moving forward then in verse 14, Paul says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, this phrase, the word, uh, this, this word to share, is a word that's been used twice already in the book of Philippians, both of them in chapter 1. And in both of those contexts, when Paul uses the word share, it's translated differently in the NIV, but it's the same Greek word. It's translated partnership in chapter 1, verse 5. And then in chapter 1, verse 7, just a couple verses later, Paul says, you are partakers. And so in chapter 1, Paul says, you have a partnership with me in the gospel. You're partakers with me. And now he comes back and uses that same word again to say, or a cognate of it, a, a word related to it, a verbal form of it, to say that you are sharing now in my troubles. And this too is a label for their actions. It's a label for their actions in saying that the financial gift that they sent, the money they sent to Paul, was not only a kindness, but it was actually like an investment. It was like they were buying into his ministry in a very tangible sense. To Paul, their financial gift was an act of friendship. But also it was almost, you might say, to kind of borrow the language of Wall Street, they were buying shares in his ministry of the gospel. They became partners with him. When two or more people form a business partnership, They all contribute their labor, their intelligence, and their money to start a new venture. And therefore, they become partners. And therefore, they have shares in what's going on. Paul is borrowing that kind of language and saying, your gift to me, the finances you sent me, show that you not only care about me as a person, but that you want to partner with me in the spread of the gospel message. But then he adds this phrase. At the end of verse 14, he says, to share in my troubles. And this, again, is a reference to the fact that Paul is incarcerated. He is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And he's in Rome awaiting trial. Now, while Paul knew that he had a good, good defense, and earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul expressed some optimism that he would actually get out, that he would, after his trial, be released. So Paul knew that his defense was very good. But despite that, it's hard to be incarcerated. And, and at this, by, as far as we know, Paul's incarceration lasted at least four years. Two years before he went to Rome, and then two years while he was, at least two years while he was in Rome. 
And so for at least four years and possibly longer, Paul was restricted to Rome. He was restricted to a hired house. He could not go out and earn a living for himself as he had in previous places like Corinth. And he couldn't go out preaching and teaching the gospel message. He couldn't travel to churches. Paul was seriously confined in Rome, and this was troublesome to him. It also meant that he had to frugally live on whatever he had and whatever came into his life. And so this was a troublesome time for Paul, even though he felt good about his about his chances of getting out. Also, let me add to this, that Paul didn't really know the outcome of his case. Rome wasn't always the most just society to have your case adjudicated in. And so while Paul thought his case was very good, he didn't know for sure. He didn't know at all whether or not he would be released or whether he would be sentenced to death. And so his situation was a troublesome one. And when Paul says in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles, he is indicating how much the gift of the money that the Philippians sent him indicates about their spiritual life. Now let me tie this back to my big idea. Because in my big idea statement, I say when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant. What it meant was how good it was for, of them to share in his troubles. Paul was, was encouraged not only by the money that they gave, but because it indicated a level of spiritual growth in the Philippians. It indicated that they cared not only about him as a person, that meant a lot to him, but that they cared about the spread of the gospel ministry. And so Paul puts these labels in verse 14 on the gifts, on the actions of the Philippians in order to indicate to them how much their gift meant to him. That's why I have it in my big idea. He was more grateful for what it meant. And so let me dive into that even a little bit more as we move forward here in our text for this morning. That's our review and look at this text. And in today's passage, in Philippians 4, 14 through 17, as we continue to move forward, Paul is going to begin to describe the spiritual value of their financial gift. And specifically, this passage helps us to see this, that giving indicates spiritual growth. That's what Paul was so excited about. That's why he had so much joy in the Lord for their gift. Because it indicated spiritual growth in their life. Now, Paul, in verses 15 and 16, is going to develop this idea a little bit more. So let's look together, look in your Bibles with me again, at Philippians 4, 14, 15, and 16, where the Scripture says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And then he adds this in verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. In this section, Paul begins to develop the meaning of the gift that the Philippians sent to him. And he spends verses 15 and 16 rehashing 
for the Philippians a little bit of history, but it's not history that like we think of when we open a history textbook or when we think of students taking a history class. The history that Paul's going to talk about in verses 15 and 16 is the Philippians' history. It's personal history. It refers to their history of giving to Paul and giving to Paul's work. We see this in verse 15 with the words you know. Notice in verse 15, it says, Moreover, as you Philippians know. The words you know are the grammatical subject of this verse. The grammatical subject and main verb of this verse, actually. And it's a concession by Paul to the Philippians that what he's about to say is not a revelation to them. It's not a mystery to them. It's not something that they're not familiar with. Instead, it's a repeat of their history. But Paul is going to repeat their history in order to make a point to them, an important point to them and to us about the importance of giving. And the first thing he tells them about their giving is that they were alone in their giving. Notice again verse 15. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know... In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Now think about Paul's life. Paul spent his ministry life going to new places among the Gentiles in the Roman Empire. And as he went about to these new places... He began, he's usually started with the Jewish people there and began revealing to them that Jesus is their Messiah and calling them to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah. But then he would turn to Gentiles and he would preach to them that this Jewish Messiah wanted to include them in his kingdom and they could be part of it by faith in Jesus Christ. And everywhere Paul went, he started a church. He gathered, he, he um, helped by the help of God and through the gospel message. A group of believers were created and Paul organized them into local churches. And then once a local church was organized, Paul would do, he would spend various amounts of time getting that church established in the faith and then he would move on to another church. And Paul tells us in other passages that for the most part, he did this at his own expense. He used, the, he used the money that he had saved in his life to pay for his expenses. Or, if he needed to, which he did at times, he would work. He would make tents, which was his profession, his occupation, in order to pay the bills, to pay his expenses. Paul never went to a church, preached the gospel to them, and said, okay, now that you're in Jesus, pay me. He never did that. He could have. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he actually defends the rightness, the righteousness of churches financially supporting him and the other apostles and their teachers. And so Paul could have demanded a fee from them, but he didn't do that because he never wanted anybody to come to the wrong conclusion about the gospel message. And so after Paul would leave these areas... He would travel again at his own expense and again live at his own expense to a new area in giving the gospel message. Now, as we read these words in Philippians 4, 15 and 16, Paul tells us in verse 15 that after he left Philippi, after he left the city where this church was planted, he received no money from any of the other churches that he had planted. 
that's what he's indicating when he says in verse 15, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. The Philippians stood alone in supporting financially Paul's ministry of the gospel message. And Paul, at the end of that verse, reminds them that they were the only church that shared with him, that gave to him. And that's good for the Philippians. And also, I, I kind of overlooked this, but he said, actually, you did this from the very beginning, even when they were little baby Christians. Their appreciation of the gospel message and their understanding that it takes money to live and to travel and to preach the gospel message compelled them to give money to Paul even without him asking for it and even without him demanding it. Again, verse 15 says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, Paul says this was like an instinct that you had when you were just baby Christians. You gave to my work even then. And so all of this speaks well of the Philippians. It says much about their faith in Jesus Christ and their importance, how much the, the gospel was important to them. But the last part of verse 15, which says, no one else, no other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only, highlights an important truth. It was important then, it was true then, and sadly, it's still true today. And that is this that most Christians, unfortunately, do not invest financially in God's work or they don't invest very much. Remember verse 14, Paul uses the words of a partnership. Paul says, you paid in, you bought into my work, you became like shareholders in my ministry. But he says, if you look at your history, you are really the only church that ever did this. You're the only one that said, Paul, we want to invest, we want to be your partners in the ministry. Most churches that Paul ministered to gave him nothing. And sadly, today, most Christians invest little to nothing in the work of God. And many Christians like to justify their lack of giving. They'll cop out by saying things like this, the church has what, it's, what it needs. The lights came on this morning there were no foreclosure signs on the door. The pastor appears to be gaining weight, and so I don't think he's getting going hungry. And so people justify the fact that there aren't appeals for money and that there aren't any obvious deficiencies that seem to indicate a lack of money. A lot of Christians use that to justify their lack of giving to the Lord's work. They'll say the church has what it needs, or some, many of them justify it theologically. They'll say, well, I'm free from the law. The law required tithing in the Old Testament, but the Bible says we're not under law, we're under grace, so I'm free from the law, and that means I don't have to give a thing. Just as in Paul's day, Christians continue a long tradition of doing less in God's grace than people did under the law. When Paul says you're not under the law, you're under grace, he wasn't saying, so you don't have to do anything that the law demanded. You can do a lot less. No, he was saying you're under grace. So now you have the freedom to serve God from the heart. You don't have to give 10%. You can give 50% if you want to. And yet, not too many Christians will use the concept of being under grace as a justification to give more, to give extravagantly 
to the work of God. Instead, Christians tend to say, that means I don't have to give anything at all, or I can only give very little. For the Philippians, Paul was very, very thankful. Because unlike every other church where he served in the gospel, the Philippians had a deep commitment to the Lord's work, and it showed in the way they gave to Paul's ministry. Notice at the end of verse 15, Paul says, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. That phrase, giving and receiving, borrows, again, from the language of the business world and the culture of the business world. It's a phrase that was used all the time in Paul's world. And in the Philippians world, among people who had business relationships with one another. If Paul were writing this to us, he might say, you opened an account with me and became my business partners in the gospel. In fact, most of the time the Bible talks about giving to God's word. It doesn't use the language of giving. See, that's what we think. We think it's like making a donation to a charity. That's what a lot of Christians think giving to God's work or giving to missions is like. It's money that I just give away. It's, it's extra. It's disposable income. And I give it away out of the goodness of my heart. And that's why many Christians give so little. But most of the time when the Bible talks about donating financially to the work of God, it doesn't use the, word, the language of gifts. It uses the language of investment. And that leads us then to why this giving was so important to Paul, why it meant so much to him. As we continue to read in verse uh, 15 and then verse 16, he says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, we'll come back to these two verses again in another session and look at them more deeply. But that last part in verse 16, uh, sorry, verse 18 that says, uh, verse 17, that says, I want more to be credited to your account tells the Philippians that there is going to be a payoff for their investment in the gospel. That it's not money that's just given and it's gone. It's not like money flushed down the toilet or lost. Instead, just like money invested in a business partnership that you expect to pay off in future dividends, Paul is saying, you are the only church that gave to me, but I want to tell you, God noticed. God saw your investments in my ministry, and God is going to reward you accordingly. Those who give generously to God's work are partnering with God in the gospel. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again in so many places that talk about financial investment in the gospel that God is going to reward those who give generously to his work. And so this is why, one reason why Paul was so excited about the giving that the Philippians did for him. It's not that he needed the money or wanted more money from them. It's that he saw that their giving was really an act of faith in God. It was an act of faith saying, God, I am buying into this partnership in the gospel, even though our lead partner is in prison and can't do a lot of gospel ministry right now. I believe that there is going to be an eternal payoff to his work. And I want part of that payoff. Paul saw the gift of the Philippians as an indication of their spiritual growth. 
And he indicated to them that there would be a reward for it. So as we continue to look at this section of Scripture, as we continue to develop this paragraph and see all that Paul says about the gift the Philippians gave to him, we see that this is really a lot more than just a thank you note for their money. It is that to some extent, Paul does express his gratitude and his joy in the Lord. But he is so much more important, it is so much more important to him to stress to the Philippians that giving is an indication of spiritual growth. And it is an investment that will pay off in the future. And so as we start looking at this, these last few verses in this paragraph, I think that it's important for us to see a big idea for this paragraph for this for this message is this a better brand of happiness involves giving to God's work giving to God's work is not a chore that's expected of you as a Christian it's not like not like taxes where we resent every buck given to the federal and state and local government because we expect that they will waste it giving to God's word is not a tax for being a Christian It's an opportunity to buy shares in the kingdom of God. And if you look at your financial giving that way, if you see it as an act of faith that demonstrates a level of spiritual growth in your life, I think you can find that giving to God's work offers a better brand of happiness than keeping the money for yourself and spending it on the things that you want or saving up for your own future. It's a better brand of happiness because it's a brand of happiness that pays off in the future. And it pays off reliably, unlike many investments in this world, which are unpredictable. Because God is the one who is doing the work. And God is the one guaranteeing the investment. Every dollar given to God's work reaps an eternal reward. This is a better brand of happiness. And so I'm wondering about your giving and receiving. I'm wondering if you are faithful in giving to the Lord's work, if you're faithful in giving to this local church, if you're faithful in supporting the missionaries that we brought to your attention and that we support as a local church. This is part of our growth in the Christian life. As we grow in Christ, we should be growing in generosity and desiring to invest more and more in the work of God. That's why I encourage you this week to think about your partnership in the gospel. What does it say about your commitment to Christ? What does it say about your faith in Jesus Christ? What does your giving say about who you are in Jesus and what you are expecting from him in eternity? This is a better brand of happiness.